0: Blog Talk Radio
1: We got something to say, <laughs> sure. but uh, not this station right here, we don't just got something to say, y'all, we got
0: the truth.
2: Welcome Truth Seekers, you're listening to A Measure of Truth on BlogTalkRadio.com and I'm your host, Michael Fordham. Look, if you just click the link on my webpage or you're listening on BlogTalkRadio.com or even the Blog talk Radio player on my Facebook page and you want to call in live, look, we'd love to talk with you. So give us a call. The number is 347-326-9470. Or if you like, you can tweet me your questions and comments at twitter.com slash A Measure of Truth. Also, if you haven't yet, why don't you look me up on Facebook? I'm the Michael Fordham with a photo of me in studio, and you can always email me your questions and comments at a measure of truth at gmail.com Look, we've got a great show for you today. We'll be right back after this. Bud is a nonprofit organization of compassionate, comprehensive, qualified professionals who work to educate parents to improve the lives of children with learning disabilities. When a child is first identified as a student in need of services, many parents have no knowledge of the process until they receive a parent handbook during an individualized education plan meeting. The parent handbook is often written in a language unfamiliar to most parents. Parents are often overwhelmed by this meeting because it's not like a familiar parent-teacher conference. The meeting includes many educational professionals, administrators, teachers, therapists, counselors, psychologists, and etc. Bud was established in 2012 to advocate for and empower parents to seek the necessary services for their children upon initial identification of a learning disability. Annette says, Bud is uniquely qualified to assist and inform parents because for over 20 years I have been involved with the special education maze both as a parent and a teacher. Annette Ireland, founder of Better Understanding Disabilities. Welcome to A Measure of Truth.
3: Thank you very much, Michael, for inviting me on your show again. And as promised, the last time we were on this show, we had talked about vision therapy and vision, uh, basically the brain and vision connection, um, which I had told a story about my son, who at 17 years old was diagnosed with having vision issues. Um, and basically that's not sight. It has nothing to do with eyeglasses. It's basically how the vision and the brain works um, together as a team. And, of course, you know, my son being diagnosed at seven at 17, first of all, I had no idea what... Um, the therapist was talking about, I thought the therapist was talking about, you know, like Bud needed uh, eyeglasses. And I said, you know, Bud has eyeglasses, Bud goes to see his uh, optometrist at least once a year to make sure that he's seeing properly and come to find out that was not the issue. Sight was not the issue. The issue was he was actually having problems visualizing, um, even visualizing as he would read a book or visualize if you were talking to him and you'd say, bud, you need to do so-and-so, he had difficulty visualizing that. And, you know, just basically in talking to other parents about vision, a lot of parents have no idea about vision. They're thinking that vision has to do with sight, and so... Better Understanding Disabilities, which we are a non-profit organization. We have workshops that educate parents so that they can, um, you know, get better services for their kids, uh, that their kids with learning disabilities. And so in February we had a workshop. February of this year we had a workshop on vision, the brain and vision connection, and it was a really cool, um, very informative, may I say, a very informative workshop. And our guest was Dr. Bryce Appelbaum, who is a C O V D and, of course, he's nationally known. Um, he's located in Maryland in Montgomery County. And, of course, Dr. Appelbaum came out for the workshop and most interesting thing, we did exercises to test our vision. And the most interesting thing, with one of the activities, Dr. Applebaum had told us to, he had given us string, and we had to tie a string to one finger on one hand and the other part of the string to a finger on the other hand. And there was this lady sitting next to me. So so let me just backtrack. So basically, when you look down at the end of the string, the string is supposed to come back at a V, and this particular person was not seeing a V, and she was telling Dr. Appalbom, I don't see a V. And, of course, I was looking at her like, whoa, does she have, you know, a vision issue? And sure enough, we did another activity. She couldn't see a cow, we all saw the cow, she couldn't see the cow. And, of course, Dr. Applebaum graciously went over and kind of gave her a little quick vision test and he talked to her about what was, you know, possibly going on. And me personally, I think that before a parent goes and get their child a, a, a psychological eva- evaluation, an educational psychological evaluation, they need to get their vision checked, and they need to get their vision checked by a COVD, not a um, regular optometrist. And, and tell us what I'll, a
2: COVD is before you go any further.
3: Well, I'll let Dr. Applebaum explain that more or less than, than I could because he's better at that because that's his profession, if that's okay.
2: Oh, absolutely. Okay. And um, Dr. Applebaum, Welcome to A Measure of Truth.
4: Well, thank you. I want to thank you guys for having me on this evening. Um, and, and that brings up a lot of really good points. Uh, to start off, just answering your, your, la- your most recent question, um, COVD is an international organization that uh, board certifies optometrists in developmental vision and vision rehabilitation, so in specialists of, who provide vision therapy. Um, if you go on the COVD's website, www.covd.org, there's that says um, locate a doctor, and, you know, you can type in your zip code, your address, and find somebody who's, who's either a fellow, hopefully, um, of the college, which means they are board certified, or even an associate. And what that means is they have a better understanding of, of vision and development. Um, and that brought up a really interesting point about, you know, just t- taking a child to see a developmental optometrist, which is different from a normal optometrist, you know, a lot of children and adults can, can demonstrate perfect eyesight 2020 and be 20-20 and still have a, a critical and interfering vision problem. There's a tremendous difference between eyesight and vision, and I think that's the biggest take-home from um, from tonight and why I wanted to come on here and kind of educate the public. Um, eyesight is, is what glasses and contacts are for, and eyesight is, you know, the ability for the eyes to distinguish small details and to see things far away in the classroom or on a street sign or at a fast food restaurant or even on the letter chart in in an eye exam. Um, Eyesight's important, but eyesight's only really one component of vision. Vision is, is a really intricate, complicated process. Vision is the brain's ability to understand the information that the eye sends the brain. So it has to do with how the eyes are focusing together and moving together and working together and making sense of and... Really processing what they see, um, and so that's what you know. A lot of children and adults that I work with have vision problems that were just not looked for in a, in a general screening, or you know, the, the parents or a patient was misinformed, saying you know my child or myself we have perfect eyesight, vision can't possibly be involved, and, and vision is is it's all brain. So think about vision therapy, and, and what, what I specialize in is essentially it's physical therapy for the brain. And so hopefully that mm. makes sense.
2: Yeah. Now, tell us some of the um the misnomers. Some um, I, I, some people are being um misdiagnosed for instance and um some of the things that could actually occur when someone does not understand the real source of a, a person's um learning disability.
4: Absolutely. Well, I I think there's I don't even know where to begin here. Um you know, a lot, a lot of the children that, that we work with are mislabeled with ADD or ADHD, and, and in fact they have vision problems that are causing the exact same symptoms. Um, mm. You know, and without ruling out these vision problems, you, you can't really know the source or the cause of the inattention. You know, there's, uh, if, you, if you Google convergence insufficiency or you go to um, a website that I maintain with eight other practices around my country, www.visionhelp, H-E-L-P, um, there's a lot of literature and research and patient testimonials, but you know, there's a very interesting study on the convergence insufficiency. And essentially what that is is the inability to team the eyes together down your midline um, and see a single, clear, coordinated image. There's a very high correlation with people diagnosed with convergence insufficiency and inattention or inability to hold and sustain concentration
0: Provision stressful
2: task like reading. Hmm. And, and how do you address that when you first discover it? What What are some of the things that, of course, are the clues that that's what you're facing, but also how how can you correct um, this this ability that causes someone to learn differently and also see things differently and understand what they see differently.
4: Good question. Well, really what we do is we arrange the conditions in a therapeutic setting where we're reprogramming the patient's brain to, to really change how it is they're using their vision. So it's a matter of, of you know, of controlling situations. situation. So certain tasks they have to use one eye 4 and certain tasks they have to use the other I-4. And then, you know, teaching a patient how to self-correct and self-monitor and really raise to their awareness what it is they're seeing, how they're processing, and how to be more efficient and automatic in their processing. Um, a lot of the patients that, that I work with um, are, are operating in life with very inefficient uh, visual skills and abilities, and, and they figure out ways to compensate to make life easier. And in a lot of cases, there's an underlying binocular problem or eye-teaming problem, and the patient will figure out a way to learn how to, use one eye and ignore the other eye and suppress that information or to make head movements to track an object rather than tracking an object with just their eyes um, or they see a 3D movie and, then, you know, get headaches and dizzy and eye strain and, you know, there's, they're not ready for the visual demands that um, are there in their lives. So in a therapy setting, it's a matter of teaching the patient how to fix the problem themselves and allowing the brain to operate in the path of least resistance and do what's easier.
2: And when they do these things to compensate, is is that helping or is that hurting? Are you teaching to do these things more effectively, or is it something that you have to unlearn in order to be able to correct the situation?
4: A little bit of both. I mean, if you can think of a, a glaring vision problem of, let's say, somebody has an eye that's looking straight ahead, and then the other eye is looking in or out or up or down. Um, when the brain is, when the two eyes are pointing at different places and the brain is seeing two separate images, if the brain's unable to put those images together, it sees double. And mm-hmm. when we see, when we see double, we have three choices: we can see double, we can fix the double, or we can suppress or ignore one of the images.
0: Mm-hmm. So a
4: patient whose eyes are pointing at different places. Um, you know, if, if they're not seeing double, it's because they're suppressing or ignoring information. You know, that's a wonderful compensatory mechanism. They're getting rid of confusion. They're making it so their life is more easy to understand. But they're not using both eyes, and that's not how their brains are wired. And so that's, you know, in order to, to fix a problem like that, we, we raise to the patient's awareness: what each eye is seeing, where it's looking, both proprioceptively and, and Facially, and then we teach them how to self-correct the problem. So a lot of times the symptoms are, are, are really what the patient is doing is, is how they're making the situation easier for them visually, but usually it's, it's not, a, not efficient or, or helpful in, in their lives.
2: And give us some examples, too. Um, when someone is misdiagnosed and, and is thought that they have some other um, problem, um, what, what types of things can actually happen to this child or this person who's been thought to have um, some other condition which they may receive treatment or therapy for?
4: Well, a whole lot can happen. A lot can happen physically, emotionally, psychologically. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's been estimated that one in five children in the classroom truly have a vision problem that affects reading and affects learning. And a lot of times they're mislabeled and they can be mislabeled as say it's ADD or ADHD or dyslexic or having learning problems. And in a lot of cases with, with the right testing that's done and, and with the right thorough evaluation, you can, you can find that there's hidden vision problems that are interfering and, and creating these, um, these difficulties in, to allow them to
2: reach their full potential. Wow. And and I'm sure that one of the, the biggest problems is its traumatic effect on the child who is struggling to learn and is already frustrated, and, and a misdiagnosis could just, you know, it could be very damaging.
4: Absolutely. And really to wow. think about how empowering it is for the child to, to realize um, there's a reason why the words are moving on the page. There's a reason why they're skipping words and lines and not understanding what they're reading. And when they can figure out how to improve those problems, um, it, it truly is life-changing for a lot of the patients we work with because they're eliminating roadblocks that have been big hindrances to, to success.
2: So we have some of your success stories, Um with us, actually, because uh, Annette's son, I believe, was one of your patients as well, as we have Erica who will come on as well. So just tell us a little bit about um, what you noticed in the beginning and how you were able to help them in their situations.
0: Well, first Um, of
3: all, go ahead. go ahead. Well, um, Dr. Applebaum is in Maryland. My son Bud saw uh, another Uh, developmental optometrist here in Virginia
2: okay
4: that that is is correct but I I ran into um, well if it's Erica if you if you want to talk
2: yes Erica welcome to a measure of truth hello Erica you're on
1: (laughs) sorry I was double muted I'm here now (laughs) okay Mm -hmm. Yes, thank you for having me.
2: You're you're welcome. Um, So tell us a little bit about your um, first, you know, realization of where your child was, and and tell us a little bit about your um, first meeting with uh, Dr. Applebaum after that.
1: Okay, yeah. I was invited by um, Annette to a workshop, and Dr. Applebaum was there, and he was just going over some of the things of, you know, symptoms and signs, and I was like, wow. You know, my son is starting to show some of these things. And because my son was born prematurely, one pound, four ounces, so he's had like over 30-something surgeries, and he's always had eye problems, so I was like, wait a minute, he's had several surgeries so there's nothing wrong with his eyes. They say he doesn't need glasses now, so but Annette was saying, Okay, well how is he, you know, seeing different things and what is you know, what is his vision like? And I was like but I was thinking more of like how he's seen. I'm like, everything is straightened, lined up. But they were saying that my son was diagnosed. They're saying that he was artistic. They were telling me he's borderline ADHD, you know, because he's active and busy, you know, doesn't really want to sit still. But so I decided to actually see Dr. Applebaum and get an evaluation. And then turns out he actually had a vision problem. And so instead of you know, the ADHD or different things like that. And so we – and then insurance doesn't pay for this. So, mind you, we. I started paying for this out of pocket because I said, let me try for six months to see how it's going to um, be. And my son had already have OT problems as well because I'm like, he has 10 different therapists. So I'm like, okay, what didn't they catch? You know, I'm paying all these different people – You know, since he's been born, because you name it, he has one. And so when he told me he had the vision problem, I was like, wow, it was definitely an eye-opener. I felt first I was, like, upset because the other doctors didn't notice it, especially the eye doctor Mm. when he's had four surgeries. Mm-hmm. And then I was like, okay, relieved, like, okay, now I really know what's going on because I knew he wasn't artistic or have ADHD because he's really, really smart. I mean, the boy can work anything, you know. And so we started doing therapy with Dr. Applebaum, and my success story is that he wasn't – he only knew like one alphabet. He only could recognize A when we took him to a therapist. Now he knows, mm-hmm. and then the kindergarten at the time – He was at one school in Fairfax County. They wanted to heal him back, keep him in preschool, or they wanted to put him in the um, intellectual disability class, you know, with all those slow kids or learners because they felt that he wasn't keeping up. And I was like, no, my son is smart. I know he can do it. So we kept doing the vision therapy. Now my son knows all of his alphabet and he can sign every letter, say every letter. And mind you, I forgot to tell you that, my son is also deaf too. So I was, with, I was asking Dr. Applebaum, do you work with, you know, deaf kids? So mm. not only he has all these other problems, but he has the cochlear implants now, and he's trying to learn how to talk, and he has a vision problem. So you name it, he's been through it, or we've both been through it. So, and mm. so now he knows all of his alphabets, He can sign every alphabet and he's starting to read some letters and his intention is great. He's in a regular kindergarten class, you know, with all the other kids. And the first day, the teacher was like, wow, we weren't even expecting him. He looks bad on paper. But when you see him in person, it's a whole different story. But when you read his background, they were like, we were not expecting this. And so I really want to thank Annette and Dr. Applebaum because I'm really starting to see some changes. Even his teachers and therapists are like, wow, you know, it's like a totally different kid. And we just started these therapies back in February because I had started, like, immediately. And so I feel, Mm -hmm. you know, comfortable about it.
2: (laughs) Well, I have a question for Dr. Applebaum now. Yes, I have a
1: couple couple
4: of comments I want to share about sure, what we just sure. talked about as
2: well. Okay. Um, my question is, wow, how did you do it? <laughs> <Because>
4: <laughs> well,
2: I'll, I'll What just said sounded phenomenal. And then throwing in short the <laughs> end, right that, that her son was deaf as well. And, and that's a, a, a whole different challenge on top of that. So how, how is it that you were able to even recognize the problem, communicate that effectively, and understand exactly where you needed to start?
4: Well, I'll tell you, I didn't really do anything. Uh, I'll tell you, Manny has, is the, one of the hardest working little guys we have, and he comes in and he's ready to go. And, you know, we're, we're teaching Manny how to correct the problems himself rather than him coming in and saying, do what you guys got to do. Um, you know, man, I'm not, not going to share too much um, confidential and personal information, but sure. Manny had, had gone through some, some different um, medical treatments for a functional vision problem. So I'm sure a lot of people have heard about mm. patching um, or, or eye muscle surgeries. In some mm. cases, those, those, are, those are effective, but in, in other cases where if there's an underlying developmental delay globally or an under, and or an underlying visual developmental delay,
2: um, if you have to
4: address the function, not the structure. So somebody's eye that drifts in or out mm. or up or down, in most cases doesn't drift away from center um, because the, the eye muscles too long or too short or not strong enough or too strong. It's because the coordination of, of the eyes from the brain is not. Is, the eyes aren't working together as a team. Um, and so with Manny, you know, we we didn't ever ever directly teach him how to say letters or sign letters, but we were slowly eliminating a lot of the roadblocks that are preventing um, his brain and and what you know God is giving him from being able to operate at its full potential. Um, you know, it's it's wonderful he's doing so well, and I would say right now we're we're kind of just just at the cusp of of, of where Manny can go. Um, I think a big thing for, for a big reason for our success is he's a really, really bright kid um, who has a lot in life that's that's a little harder for him than, than it is for other kids. And so he's always working harder than everybody else, and, you know, vision was was absolutely interfering with his ability to to learn, to read, and, and to be successful um, in the classroom, on the sports field, and even navigating through space. Um, what's, what's unique about... Um, uh, my practice is is we offer occupational therapy and vision therapy in our Bethesda office. We ha- also have an office in Annapolis, which is just vision therapy. But the the reason I bring that up is we have a much more um, holistic, functional view to to vision. And I think if if you look at the uh, the individual as um, not just a pair of eyeballs, but also you know as a person who's trying to to do the best they can, you know it's very very easy to see that, that Manny had some obstacles that were in the way that preventing his eyes from working together. You know, one eye wasn't seeing as well. They weren't mm. pointing at the same place, and yet he was really, really bright and doing the best he could to respond to the certain tests given. So I think as long as, um, if, if any parent has, has a child who they're suspecting may have a vision problem, um, it, it's usually, if, you, if you're seeing the right person, if you're finding a developmental or neuro-optometrist, Um, it's pretty clear to see whether vision is helping or hurting that patient in terms of their ability to be successful. Um, One (laughs) other comment I I do want to say, in insurance companies, um, some major medical does reimburse for for therapy and some does cover. Obviously some do not, but it completely depends on on the medical insurance. Um, So it's something at least to look into um, before, you know, even before shutting down that path.
2: And that was actually my next question for you, Doctor Applebaum. And mm-hmm. I'm trying to understand how is it that insurance would not pay? And you say some do but some don't. why is that?
4: Well, our society as we all know now is not in the best place in terms of uh health insurance. Um, you know, certain insurance companies operate off of off of literature and research and medicine from thirty years ago. Um, and some mm. operate from the most current um most current and and, and most effective research. Um, For all the diagnoses that that certain children have, if insurance is going to cover it, it, it's not based off of a a vision code, it's based off of a medical code.
0: Right, I see.
4: If if eye muscle surgery would be recommended for, let's say, an intermittent eye turn, um, it's proven in all the literature and all the research that an intermittent eye turn is more successfully treated with office-based vision therapy than any other surgeries or any other treatments. Mm. And, you know, if, you, if, we're, if the case is peer-reviewed, I mean, obviously there's different um, theories and, and there's different controversy in the medical community over intervention of eye disease and structure versus the other end of the spectrum where I am on, on more functional. Um, you know, not everybody agrees. And, and that's part of the big problem is, you know, I was not the first eye doctor that this family has seen. And probably can't even count on a few pairs of hands. How many eye doctors they've seen? Um, But if there's an underlying problem, that's a functional problem. If you're addressing it with eye muscle surgeries or patching, you know that's you can still tell that there's there's that didn't do the full trick, and there was still a lot of uh, a lot of obstacles in the way.
2: Now, other than going to uh, one of your seminars or actually, um, I guess, going to your website, are, are there some ways that a parent could really understand if they may already be on the wrong path with their child as far as um, the diagnosis that they've been given?
4: Absolutely. Well, on, um, on COVD's website and also Vision Help's website, there's um, two fascinating blogs that are updated Daily. Um, there's a lot of, you know, in this area, there's a D.C. Urban Moms blog. Um, I, th- I think the more you, you, you do a little bit of research and the more you, you, you think about this not adding up for your particular child, you'll start to see them, you know, in, in different um, patient testimonials or in different um, support groups or networks. But, you know, a lot, of, a lot of therapists now, occupational therapists, physical therapists, speech therapists, Um, are really starting to learn about vision and and the missing piece. And, you know, they start to look at vision being the dominant learning senses of what really ties in all of our learning in the classroom and and really processing in life. Um, So some some of the really good teachers now can even recognize a vision problem or suspect one, and then they recommend seeing a developmental optometrist. So I think it's just being educated and, and, you know, knowing... Um, what avenues to take, or where to to really explore the the potential problem further.
2: And I just wanted to add too, um, the C O V D stands for the College of Optometrists in Vision Development, C O V D, and that website I did check it out while we were talking is actually C O V D dot O R G. Um, so I just want to make sure everyone could find that and, and make sure that they were able to access that information at COVD.org.
4: Absolutely, and it's a wonderfully informative website. Um uh, gives a lot of information on, on vision and learning, and there's different ways that you can get your community involved. Um, and then also the Vision Help website, V-I-S-I-O-N-H-E-L-P.com. Um, a lot of li- literature and research on there and a lot of, Well, just really, really good, informative database um, on on vision and learning.
2: Now, um, Dr. Applebaum, do you have any um, other workshops that are up and coming? Um, I know that you guys just had an event not too long ago. Um, Is is there something that people who are hearing this now can sort of put on the calendar who are curious and um, just would like to be able to connect somehow?
4: Absolutely. Well, we always um, we always offer workshops and, and speak to schools and to support groups and to um, different hospitals. We, we were at um, Johns Hopkins last month. We were at, um, we g- gave give lectures to occupational therapists and physical therapists for teaching and education. So, I mean, in an upcoming future, any, my father and myself practice together and one or both of us will always try and accept any speaking engagement just to try and, Know, spread the word about, about vision and, and, you know, if we can help one more additional child, whether it's with us or, you know, another practice who, who also specializes in vision therapy, I think the underlying key is, you know, to change our culture so that we can really um, catch these problems before they start interfering and, and really having detrimental effects on our kids. So, you know, it, it would be would be happy and willing to speak anywhere and, and everywhere, you know, in the future.
2: And um, we do have a caller who's called in, and um, I just wanted to give them an opportunity. Um, The last four numbers, caller, is uh, 4718 of your telephone number. If you are online, please um, ask your question now.
4: This is Ray Parker. I was online, and I got kicked off three times when I was redialing back in. That was the problem.
2: Oh, okay. I see.
4: Yeah, I'll, yeah, I've been on the whole time. So. <laughs> yeah,
2: I, I know. I've seen you there. But we were just waiting for an opportunity to bring in a caller who, did you want to ask a question?
4: Oh, no, I just, Erica covered most of the things about our son already.
2: Oh, okay. I see. All right. Very good. And Erica, you did have some more to say, about, and you were talking about, you know, your experience and how much your son has improved as well. So just tell us a little bit more about that.
1: Oh, sure. What I just wanted to add that if, um, you know, just for the other parents who out there may have questions, you know, go get your son or daughter, you know, tested. I think it's worth it. And also it's hard work, so it's not that, you know, they give you homework, so it's not just (laughs) – so it's not just (laughs) – Going to them therapy, they give you homework to do every day, and so it is hard work for the parent and the child, but it is worth it in the long run. So it's like the parents have to do their part as well. You know, the therapists and the doctors can't do everything. You have to do, you know, your part because people tell me all the time how much, you know, our son is talking now. And I said, it's hard work. It's not just us talking. I feel that I'm his narrator, you know. Hmm. So I talk, we talk all day long, and I even have, like, the FM system, the speaker phone that goes from, Um, my microphone directly to his ear so he can really get that voice. So I'm like, it's a lot of hard work, too. But it is. worth (laughs) it.
2: Wow. And tell us how um, Annette's organization, Bud, has helped you to be able to um, also, you know, because in the school system as well, it's a challenge to be able to make teachers recognize the real problem and, you know, the potential of your child. So just tell us a little bit about how her information has helped you in that.
1: Oh, yes, because, you know, one thing she always told me, like, you have to be your you know your child's advocate. So, you know, because my son can't, you know, talk. He's learned how to talk, so he can't tell us what's going on. So you have to be able to tell them that and express that to them and don't give up because we're – very involved parents when it comes to, you know, Manny. So we're always involved and we're always at the school and we're always on the teachers and I just don't accept, you know, just their answer. They need to prove to me, you know, show me. And I take up for them. I stand up for them at all and, you know, whether they like it or not. And I don't back down. So, you know, that's just how, because I look, I went through a whole lot with him. I said, no, I'm not giving up now. So,
0: so that's yeah. one thing
1: that we had to do, and then we still then weren't satisfied. So I ended up switching counties. I ended up selling my house, moving to another county, just mm. because of that reason. So I mean, but you like you you have to be that advocate, and I just can't express that enough. And now we're in a different county, and they are working with us, and they commended us about how you know how much because they were like most parents would not do all this stuff that you all are doing you know I said yeah we're not like most parents I was like this is our son and daughter and I said I want I want him to have every opportunity to be successful in life as any other child you know mind you about his physical appearance or his other you know disability because my son he's bright very smart and you when you see him, you won't even know he's been through all that stuff. He's very polite, speaks to everyone, and he just wants to learn. So.
2: Mm. Oh, that's great. That is just awesome. And, Annette, tell us a little bit about it's, it's a two-tiered process. I mean, teachers need to learn and understand a little bit more as well. And, and does Bud also help them to be able to better, um, you know, be a, a – A good teacher a better teacher for a child especially ones who've been misdiagnosed
3: we also uh, educate teachers teachers are invited to our workshop Uh, this past uh, let's see I think we had a workshop like October maybe October 8th it was October 8th and basically the majority of our people who were there were teachers out of Alexandria City Public Schools so um, based on the information that they received, they were willing to go back to the classroom and share with with other teachers about what they had learned from the workshop and Again, that was another uh that was another vision workshop we try and our goal is to have two vision workshops a year, and hopefully Dr. Applebaum will come back in February of twenty fourteen um and so we we try to have one in february and one in october and that is because vision is just so important and it it's it's like for for better understanding disability if a child's vision is not working properly that child is not going to be successful there will be a lot of tears because, of course, the child is thinking that they're dumb and stupid and they can't get it. And, of course, the the saddest thing is they have other people, other kids out there saying that they're dumb and they're stupid. So vision is so, it's, it is so major, um, and that's, that's why we really have it twice a year. Um, I'll just give you a little information about my own kid in vision and how He struggled for so many years. We were from one school to the next. We were in private school. We were in public school. We were back to private school. We were back to public school. So this was like back and forth, back and forth. But I always thought that there has to be something else to this learning disability. There has to be something else. Because to me, kids just don't not be able to do things because they have a learning disability. There has to be something deeper. And, of course, when Bud was about 16 years old, we went to this place called Success Learning, Success Learning Lab, and because we were trying to get extra help for him. Success Learning Lab said to us uh, after, you know, they tested Bud, they said, we will not touch him until you see a developmental optometrist. And I was like, what are you talking about? He he go he's been to um his optometrist. And of course again she you know, she explained it's not about sight. It's about vision. And of course I will be very honest with you. I went to that C O V D dot org. I went to that webpage and this was probably like two thousand two thousand six and I was reading the statistics when they say 80% of kids who've been diagnosed with ADD, ADHD, learning disability, 80% of those kids have vision issues. And then that's when I really start looking at vision as being the culprit for kids having such difficulty in school. And, of course, um, I took, we took Bud to uh, developmental optometrist here in Virginia, um, we took him to Robert Jacobs, and Jacobs diagnosed him and and just Just as Dr. Applebaum says that brain and that vision goes together if it's if if one if one's not working and the other one is it's like I don't know to me for kids it's like they got failure. You know, stamped across their forehead, because you know the brain and vision are not working together, and of course, with bud, um, after about eight weeks of therapy, you can i we saw a difference, and I really think without vision without without getting that vision training. I really don't think that he would have been able to, well, I know he would not have. He would not have been able to, how can I say it? We got vision training. Of course, he had failed, uh, he was failing in school. Of course, I'll be honest, he'll be given a grade, and realistically, did he really earn the grade? That was always my question, but when we started when he started getting the vision therapy, things started to change for him but of course, when he graduated from high school, he was only functioning at fifth grade seven yeah fifth grade seven months when he graduated from high school and of course with the vision with the uh, uh, and I'll tell any parent if you want the best for your kid the best thing to do is to get that kid a vision check. I'll tell you to forget about sight right now, because they can get glasses, but it's that vision. And, of course, Bud, um, we sent Bud to a school in New York, as I said the last time, to the Kildonan School with his vision and a proper program to address his learning disability. He has done very well, and it's all beca- and I'll tell you about it, it's that vision. He has done extremely well. He's at the University of Virginia at WISE. He is a music major. He will be graduating in May. But he himself has recognized it was the vision. It's the vision therapy that truly helped. Because just like uh, Dr. Applebaum said, the kids are the one who do the work, not the therapist just and, – and I've I've seen the therapy. And I'll tell anybody, you're not going to walk into a regular optometry office and see what you will see at a vision optometrist's office. You're not. The equipment, you're not going to see that. I mean, is it, I don't know, it's just so – it, to me, it, it, it's like it's a gift. It's it's a gift that has been given to the kids with all these different supposedly learning issues. It's, it's a gift that's being given to them so that they can be successful in life because Bud couldn't even see. Bud could not even visualize himself. So that means he couldn't see pictures in his head. And I remember his developmental optometrist saying to me, he doesn't know, how Bud became such a very good wrestler because Bud can't even visualize where his hands are on his opponent. Mm. So vision is just so important, and I will tell anybody, and I, I, I truly recommend Dr. Applebaum and also Robert Jacobs, Alan Sykes, I do. Um, Robert, Jacobs is in, Robert Jacobs is in Virginia, and so is Sykes. Dr. Applebaum is in uh, Maryland, and, you know, um, Dr. Applebaum was talking to us at the workshop. He was talking to us also about people who have had brain injuries, who had strokes. Dr. Applebaum, are you still there?
4: I I
2: am still here.
3: I, I, uh, and, and the things he was saying about it I thought was so interesting
2: yeah And tell us a little bit about that, dr. Applebaum, because apparently the the therapies and the vision um therapy that you do impacts a great deal of folks um not just ones who have a learning disability but I guess some who have um suffered some type of medical event that has caused also the same types of problems
4: absolutely um we work uh, with with a lot of kids with learning-related vision problems. We work with adults who have visual efficiency issues where they're having difficulty reading or getting tired with reading. We're using reading as a sleeping pill. We work with a lot of athletes, professional or amateur. We work with a lot of people who've had um, a brain injury or a stroke or any type of event where it's forced some sort of rewiring in the brain. Um, if you mm-hmm. can think about what we were saying with vision being brain and not eyes, you know, everyone thinks the back of the brain, the occipital cortex, and then the visual cortex, that's where all the vision takes place. That's where a lot of vision takes place, but there's actually more areas dedicated in the brain to processing ah. vision than every other sense combined. So if there's a concussion or a head injury and, you know, concussions are – a hot topic now with with the NFL and different you know youth sports leagues and, and amateur leagues, um, you know vi- when there's a, when vi- when there's any type of head injury, it's almost impossible for vision not to be affected. Now sometimes mm. it, it's affected and it's a it's you know very very small impact or there's hardly any symptoms or a lot of times there's drastic um, devastating changes. But I think that the big thing is. You know, you, you can, um, if you don't know what to look for and if you don't know how to evaluate the vision problems that would result after some sort of acquired brain injury, you're really overlooking a lot of the, the rehabilitation, or a lot of the treatment to help um, either get your life back or get back onto the field quicker. Um, so a lot of the symptoms of, of, of patients we work with with any type of head injury, somebody with blurred vision or, Car sickness, or mm-hmm. balance or vertigo problems, or memory problems, or headaches, and you know, when a large portion of our practice is also working with you know these these patients who who have su- suffered either a concussion or a stroke or any type of head injury. So almost anyone's visual skills and abilities can can be improved, but it's a matter of whether improving them is going to improve life. You know, we're fortunate as a mm. practice; we we only work with patients who we know we can help. And, you know, it's the type of thing that, you know, if there's symptoms and, and there's diagnoses and there's findings, they're all correlating together. Um, it, it's, pretty, it's pretty easy to be able to predict the future and, and what the patients can help help do
2: to make life easier for themselves. Wow, that's great. And we're, we're going to take a quick break and we'll be right back after this. Hi, I'm Michael Fordham, host of A Measure of Truth on blogtalkradio.com, and I want to take a quick minute to talk to you about Young Lives. Young Lives is a unique, cutting-edge, nonprofit Christian organization designed to empower and equip pregnant and parenting teen moms to become productive citizens in the community, a program that partners teens and mature Christian women to provide teen girls in crisis with timely encouragement, guidance, and ongoing support. Through the power of presence, kids' and teens' lives are dramatically impacted when caring adults come alongside them, sharing God's love. Because someone believes in them, they begin to see that their lives have great worth, meaning, and purpose. This is just the first step of a lifelong journey. The choices they make today, based on God's love for them, will impact their future decisions, the careers they choose, the marriages they form, and the families they raise. All of this can be traced back to the time when a young life leader reached out and entered their world. Your support will provide girls with an opportunity to attend parenting classes, summer camp, and empowerment programs that just might change their lives. To learn more, visit their website at younglivesdc.younglife.org or call the regional director, Sharon Holland, at 202-399-7017. Well, we're coming up on the end of the show, and uh, I want to give everyone a chance to, you know, just have a closing comment as well. And um, also, Annette, um, I wanted to know, too, um, is there anything that you're planning on doing or have in the works for uh, like maybe a handbook or a workbook for teachers to help them to understand some of the signs and some of the things that they could possibly do on their own? Because not every parent is is going to be as sharp as Erica and, you know, really be that committed to their child. I mean, it's sad to say, but the truth is a lot of kids will not get that type of attention and um, they won't get a parent that's really honing in on you know, that disability the way that Erica has or you have?
3: Well, first of all, let me just say this, because it's not a a teacher issue. It's Mm -hmm. a school district issue, because basically teachers can say that they recognize this in a child. And just say, like, for instance, there was a kid I had last year, and I saw that the kid needed to see a vision um, optometrist, and I mentioned it to the parents. Mm-hmm. And so, and what the parents did with it, I can't tell you. But
0: mm-hmm.
3: teachers aren't trained. They're not trained to be vision optometrists. They're, they're, um, like last week, uh, not last week, a couple weeks ago, we were given the signs. So, you know, we're trained to look for the signs. And the thing is, we can't say to the parent that mm. the child has a vision issue. We mm-hmm. have to be careful about what we say and, and how we say it. And so, but in a child's psychological evaluation, educational psychological evaluation, if you see a whole lot of um, uh, vision uh, weaknesses going on, they can tell that in the evaluation. All right? And, and the psychologist who talks to the parent will tell the parent the child has a lot of vision uh, concerns. So the child may have what you call visualizing um, deficiencies. And to be honest, a lot of parents don't understand that.
2: Mm-hmm.
3: And so, to be honest, sometimes the psychologists don't either. Right. All they know, there's a vision issue. And so, therefore, our workshops are free, Mm -hmm. okay? We charge parents not one dime. We even give them a snack. And we have professional people like Dr. Applebaum. So we have no one who's not out of their field. And parents are invited to the workshop. It's free, and we're over at um, at the uh, Mason District Government Center in Annandale. Mm-hmm. And and I'll say this: I'll I'll be honest with you, Michael. Parents have to be advocates for their kids. They have to be,
0: mm-hmm. and
3: because if they're if they're not advocates, a teacher to be honest, a teacher can get in trouble. For. Possibly saying something to the parent about right. well, you might want the school district to do this, you might they, there's a possibility a teacher can well, seriously get in trouble about that
2: but here's a problem too um Annette, too often parents are taking what they're told and and just and that's leaving why it I've at that and sometimes that's
3: why we exist that's why we exist, we exist because of that, mm-hmm. and you know, if parents don't take the I'm going to tell you, parents have to take the initiative to take it, to take care of that. Nobody else can do it for you. You have to say, you know what? Um, better understanding disability is having a workshop. It's on and, and you and you know this, it'll be about the IEP, it'll be about vision, it'll be about the law. Parents have to take the time to come and and take care of business for their kids. Because I always tell parents, if there's one thing you have to do in life, and that's prepare your child, number one, to take care of himself, and number two, you're going to get old. And so, therefore, if you haven't taken care of business for this child as a little child, Mm -hmm. that child is not going to be able to take care of you as an old person. So, I I really, Mike, I'm going to be very honest, I truly believe in parents have to get up, get out there and find the information. And we're free. And, of course, you know, the school district gives them a book. The school district gives them a book. And, of course, they don't understand everything's in that book. They don't. But Better Understanding Disability is free. And, and of course, you know, it's better understanding disability, than there are other um, websites like Pete Wright on his website. You can ask him a question, and that's Rightslaw.com. But I truly do not believe in making parents um, handicapped
1: because this is your child.
2: And, Erica, do you have anything to add to that?
1: Yes, she's absolutely correct. The parent has to be willing to step up and speak up for the child and don't just listen to the school district or just, you know, the teachers or the doctors. They have to be willing to go that extra mile and do what is necessary for them like I do because I don't take no for an answer from anyone. I'm going to get two or three or four opinions if I've had to. You know, my son has seen three neuropsychologists, okay, mm-hmm. and they all said something different. So, I mean, but you have to be willing to go the extra mile. And, like, the testing and stuff would get that done. It's like three and four hours. They're not willing to do that, but I am. So mm-hmm. the parent has to be willing to go the extra mile for them because it is for them, it's for their livelihood in order to survive in this world. You know, and I don't want, Anyone have to be handicapped if they don't have to, you know. And mm-hmm. information is free. It's is what you do with the information. That's the key here.
2: Right. And, and really I think another key point is you have to know your child and you have to believe in your child. You really have to know what you know and not let anyone else tell you differently. And, and I think that was a key point for you guys, not taking exactly what was told to you and uh, understanding there might be some more to this diagnosis or to what they're actually saying. I want and to thank is, everyone for joining us, uh, Doctor Bryce Applebaum. Um, we hope to have you all on again. To tell you the truth, because I think this is a subject we might need to revisit. Thank you all for coming.
4: Absolutely, it's my can, pleasure.
3: Can Doctor Applebaum give his information, his his phone number, and his? Well.
2: We've come to the end of another great show. And special thanks to our producer, Donna Hardiman. I'm Michael Ford, and you've been listening to A Measure of Truth on blogtalkradio.com. Before you go, here's a little something to take with you. Ask God for wisdom daily, but know that your lesson can come from anybody or any situation, good or bad, friend or foe. Watch your thoughts. They become words. And watch your words.